morning, everybody. He is risen. Ah, I thought I'd try to throw a curveball in there saying that not on Easter Sunday. <laughs> so here's the thing. We are one week removed from Easter, one week removed from Holy Week. Um, and I think a lot of times we hype up Easter as this big celebration. It's this, you know, big, um, I mean, because it truly is one of the biggest holidays in the Christian religion. You know, different cultures and religions have these different holidays, these different festivals, and these times of celebration mark a time for resting from work. They mark a time of remembrance and memorial. They mark a time of celebration and feasting. And in the Christian faith, Easter um, is the most important holiday for us because it represents the death and resurrection of our Savior. But I think what happens is a lot of times once Easter's done, we kind of just go back into routine. We go back out to the fields and work. We go back to our families. We go back to all the norms. And we just kind of start doing the normal routine of getting up for work, going to work. We got to take our kids to school. We got to feed them. We got to take care of ourselves. You know, and then uh, we also have to get to church on Sunday. And it just becomes routine again. And so what I want to talk about today is... Easter might be over, but now what do we do? How do we live in the truth of Easter every single day of our life besides just showing up in our nice new Easter outfits and getting pictures with our families and then just going kind of defaulting back to the norm? How do we continue to live out of the truth of what Jesus has done for us? And so today, um, Josh, our pastor, he's not here today, just gets a well-deserved break after preaching last week. Um, so I'm going to be here filling in for him, and he kind of gave me a little bit of free reign about what I wanted to preach on. And uh, God put it on my heart to teach on Hebrews 12 today. And so what I want to do is I want, you know, with this sermon, my point today that I want to make is we must remain aware of what Christ's death and resurrection means for us. Because of his death, our sins are atoned for. But because he's risen... And we say these call and responses like he is risen indeed. We understand that he now has newness of life. And we too, because of our faith in him, have a new life spiritually. So we must remain aware that because of Jesus Christ, we have received new life. And it says this in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so there's the symbolism when we do baptism that when we are submerged underwater, that is our old life dying and passing away. And when we are raised out of the water, we are saying that we are new creatures in Christ. We have a new life. And so we remember that and celebrate that on Easter, but we don't just stop there. Now we have a mission and a purpose. And so I want to teach on that today for us. So before we do that, I want to pray for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this gathering that we can worship your name, we can worship you in your presence um, at, with our brothers and sisters and God, I thank you for um, just this time to uh, be teaching and learning from your word. 
Lord, I pray that your spirit would be working within us and stirring us up today to keep us um, aware and awake to your truth. Lord, I pray for anyone here, anyone who is listening to this, that if they do not have faith in your son, that, Lord, that you would open their eyes to the truth today. I pray that you would prepare the, the soil of their heart um, to receive just the seeds of the gospel and to bear fruit. And Lord, for all of us here who are um, believers and who do have that faith, Lord, if there's any areas where we are lagging, where we are slowing down, where we are hardening our hearts, I pray that you would soften our hearts today to receive the truth that you have given us um, so that we would be built up and edified, so that we become more mature as believers in order to uh, live out your word to the world. So I just pray for these things today. In your name, amen. So, you know, we talked about this last week. We've established that we are new creations in Christ because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so as we look at Hebrews 12 today, we're going to see that this new life that we've been given is likened to an endurance run. It's likened to almost like a marathon, that we are now living out our lives. And until we either die or Jesus Christ comes back, we are continuing this run. And so the author of Hebrews starts in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the author here is trying to make a, uh, a metaphor here that we are now running a race. Because of our saving faith in Jesus Christ, we have now started this run. And he's calling us to start casting aside any sort of weight or sin that's going to slow us down in this race. And this is important because... What he's saying here is that we do not just run aimlessly. We do not just run with our eyes on someone, some other person next to us. We run looking ahead to Jesus. He has already run his race. He's completed it. He did the work that God called him towards. He ran his race, and he endured the hardships of the cross. But now he has been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that is the model we look to. We don't look to the ways of the world. We don't look to our own inner being and self-strength. We look to Jesus. He is both the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So we're living life with Jesus Christ as our model. And so we kind of see here in these first couple of verses, it says Jesus is both the founder and the perfecter. So what does that mean? Let's start by looking at Jesus, the founder of our faith. How is he the founder of our faith? To do that, we're going to have to go a little bit backwards in Hebrews to chapter 9. So we're talking about, when we read the Bible, there is these two covenants or these agreements of, that um, God has. The Old Covenant was set up with the nation of Israel. Um, God gave the Mosaic Law to the Israelites, and in that, the Israelites had a covenant with God, an agreement. They had um, different rituals, different worship patterns, um, and with that, there was an earthly place of worship where they gathered and where God's presence was. 
this earthly place of worship and holiness is called the tabernacle. Tabernacle is kind of like a fancy word for a tent of worship. Basically, the Israelites would construct a tent, and um, this would be the place where they would do offerings, worship, things like that. And so in this tent, this tabernacle, there were two sections. The uh, first section was called the holy place. Only the priests were allowed to go into this holy place. And they would go in there regularly to perform all their ritual duties, such as um, um, like the offerings and the cleansing, things like that. Uh, but then there was a second section um, beyond the holy place. And this was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. This room was excluded to everyone, including the priest. Only the high priest, who was kind of like the chief priest of all the priests, could enter this section. And he could only enter this section once a year on the Jewish Day of Atonement to make an offering for both himself and the people of Israel to atone for all of their sins. And they had to keep doing this year after year after year. Why? Because these animal sacrifices that were required could not fully perfect them, could not fully atone for their sins. And so they had to do it year after year. And it says in Hebrews that, uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, that these things, this old way of living that God established with the Israelites was but a shadow of the things to come. This was to point towards Jesus. So when they did this, they were looking ahead towards a better way of living. And so we see with Jesus Christ, this new covenant that came into place that is open to all of us. So looking at chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, it says, But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle or tent of worship, not made with hands, that is, it is not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So we talk about this, the old covenant, its laws, its ceremonies, all these rules, all these regulations, they served as a shadow of the good things to come through Jesus Christ. But as it says in Hebrews 9, 9, those gifts and sacrifices offered of goats and calves, the blood of goats and calves, they could not perfect the worshiper's conscience. It's only through Jesus who acting as a high priest, not in an earthly place of worship, but in a heavenly place of worship, entered into the most holy place, offered up his own perfect life as a sacrifice to atone for all of our sins. This is how Jesus is the founder of our faith. Because we have to believe that. Because the thing is, a lot of times there's these religions, there's all these mantras out there that just say, like, believe in yourself. Or, like, anyone can get to heaven just choosing their own path. Or, like, oh, if, maybe you're not even a religious type and you just believe that, you know, there's no afterlife, but we just need to make the world a better place. That's your religion is just, I'm going to try to make the human race a better human race. But what it's saying here is that Jesus Christ has paid through his own blood and made the way possible for us to be in God's presence. He has made the way possible for us to go to heaven. And so it's through believing in this that we have a founding faith that now begins this new life. So he's the founder of our faith. And it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, he says, it says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, 
so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So this new covenant that has superseded the old covenant has been founded through Jesus Christ. Our belief that Jesus Christ died for our sins and then rose from the dead to a new life is the foundation of our salvation. It's the foundation of our salvation from the penalty of sin, and it gives us a new life in which we are now running with a sense of purpose and mission. So knowing all of this, we have to start with this foundation before we can really start getting into like all the applications of today. We have to know this. So knowing this, we are now called to run effectively in our life. We do this by tearing off all the weights and the sins that slow us down and trap us in this life. We do not look to the ways of the world, but rather we look to Jesus, who is the foundation of our faith. He is also perfecting our faith as we keep our eyes on him. So we started with the foundation of our faith, but it also says Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. So how do we move in this transition from um, kind of this spiritual infancy that we have to more mature adulthood in which at the end of our lives we will have been perfected through Jesus Christ. It starts with training. So we have to look at what this run looks like. So starting in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. You know, this is kind of what I really want to focus on today. Because many of us here, we do have that faith in Jesus. But now we must know what this training looks like and how we continue on in it. So starting in verse 5, the author writes, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? He continues on in verse 10 through 11. For they, being our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So this is the goal here, is we see that our Heavenly Father is training us. He's molding us and shaping us and disciplining us to become more and more like his son Jesus, who is the perfecter of our faith. And it says here that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so it is an encouragement from the author that although we feel weary and tired sometimes, and sometimes we get tired of like, being corrected, we also must realize that God is training us and molding us so that we may yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to all of us who have been trained by God. Now, I want to talk about this word discipline because, like, I know right now, reading those verses, we're all cringing here. 
Because when we talk about the word discipline, a lot of times our mind kind of defaults to a negative view of the word discipline. We have this view that it's merely a form of punishment. We kind of look at it as some sort of sadistic drill sergeant who just wants us to do push-ups just for doing the sake of doing push-ups. And we kind of view discipline as just like this, oh, I did something wrong, I messed up, like, I'll take my beating now. But I want to really dig into what this word means. And so to do that, we have to look at the original um, manuscript. So we have to go back to the Greek and look at what this word means when it was ri first written. So um, when we look at the um, Greek interpretation, the Greek uh, manuscripts of this, um, the word discipline, it's Strong's G3809 Paideia. And what this word means is, like when we look at it holistically, it means the whole training and education of children. It also includes the training and care of the body. Another, a second meaning of it is, whatever in adults also cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. Um, with the point of instruction which aims at increasing virtue or chastisement or punishment like when we have messed up. And so we see discipline is not just this, here's your punishment for being a bad person or here's your punishment for messing up. Holistically, discipline in the Greek is talking about this idea of training, nurturing, encouraging someone to grow from a state of being a child into mature adulthood. And yes, there are times where in our life we might make a mistake and there are some natural consequences for that. But that doesn't mean that discipline is merely just the, oh, you messed up, go do 50 push-ups now. It is a loving, caring, nurturing posture of raising oneself or someone else into a state of maturity. So when we read these verses... You know, let's not groan, let's not grow weary and say, oh, here it is again, God's just punishing us for being failures. Let's look at what this word truly means so we can understand these verses and be encouraged by it. So I want to start by, you know, as we've been going through this, you know, I know it's easy just to kind of hammer it out, hammer it out, hammer it out. But I want to also share just kind of an, my own personal experience with this lately. Um, you know, as the season of Lent started, which is... Um, was it 40 days up until Easter Sunday? Um, Josh and Christian had challenged us to, you know, what is God working in us? What is he calling us to do? What are some areas where we need to become more disciplined? And, you know, I was like, okay, like, that's a good idea. I'll, I'll see, you know, I'll see what God has to say to me about this. And I was just kind of like, whatever, you know, I'm sure there'll be something. And <laughs> I started, like, one week I was, like, really stressed out. I was worried about, like, just how much, um, how it felt like I had such little time to get all the things done I wanted to get done. And I was really stressed, and I was anxious, and I was probably getting on Angela's nerves, you know, because I was just like, oh, we got to get all these things done. we got to get this done. we got to get this done. And I started to read the Bible and pray, and all of a sudden I felt this conviction from the Holy Spirit about how I view time. You know, and I've been really reading the Lord's Prayer and the section of the Lord's Prayer where it says, give us today our daily bread. Um, and I think a lot of times we read that and we're like, we, we pray for God to provide for our needs like money and food and shelter. Um, and Jesus says, 
that he is the living bread and that he is our sustenance in this life. And as I've been starting to read that and dig into it, I started to realize that it's not just that we get food and money and these things provided by God, but that the time that we need to do the work of the kingdom is also provided by God. The energy we need to do those things is also provided by God. And so when I pray, give us today this daily bread, I need to also be realizing that I need to be praying for God to give me the time and the energy to get the things I need to get done that he's called me to do. But what I've also realized with that is that many times that requires me having to cast off some weight of other things I wanted to get done. And it was difficult. As I was going through this period, I started having to cast aside, like, all these other fun things I wanted to do. It's like, no, like, I need to focus on this for church, or I need to focus on this for my marriage, or I need to do this thing for work. And it started sharpening me and honing me. And I was like, okay, God, like, what are you getting at? Like, why are you trying to do this? And part of it was because I had this, I realized that my mindset, I kind of lived in a time deficit mindset. I always live with this idea that time is this um, thing that has to be hoarded, that has to be like, um, you know, gathered up and then kind of rationed out to people. I found that it was easier for me to maybe write a check to someone at church who was struggling financially than to actually give my time and help someone because I was becoming very selfish with my time. And God was trying to teach me that, like, I am God just as much as I give you the food you need for the day and the shelter you need and the financial provision you need to pay bills. I also will give you the time you need to do the work I'm calling you to do. Not to do everything else you want to do, but to at least do the work I'm calling you to do. And I had to learn to trust in that, that my daily bread would also be the time to do the work of God's kingdom and the energy needed to do the work of God's kingdom. And it's funny because it's all kind of culminated in about three weeks ago. Angela and I got a phone call from someone, and they're like, hey, um, would you guys be willing to take a kid into your house for a while? Um, and so, you know, there was some housing issues and stuff, and so Angela and I talked to him, and we're like, you know, we've known this kid, and we're like, yeah, like, well, definitely, he can stay with us, you know, as long as need be until everything gets figured out. And oh my gosh, like, I did not realize how much of my personal time I would lose the minute I started taking care of a kid. <laughs> but I needed to go through this period, though, for those couple months. Because if I didn't trust God to give me the time to do the work that he was calling me to do, I would have come into this season with a very selfish mindset where I wouldn't want to give up my time for some kid, you know? I would just want to be like, oh, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go out. I'm going to hang out with my friends. Or I'm going to go play video games. I want to do my own stuff. And yet, like, God was training me in this time so that I would be prepared for this season to start using the time that he's given me for the work that he's called me to do, not the work I want to do. And yes, there were some times where like the discipline was a little more stern. There was times where the discipline, the training was a little more friendly and loving. But through it all, I look back and see how God was molding me and shaping me in that time. And so I want to share that as an example because God is doing this in all of our lives. But the question is, are we submitting to that? Because it says here 
In verse 5, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. And I think part of the problem here is that when we get corrected by God, or when he kind of starts to train us and mold us, we typically have two attitudes. And I think verse 5 pinpoints those. We typically go to one end of the spectrum where we're like, oh, just disregard it. Like, I don't really care. Like, you know, I mean, I know God means well, but do I really need to listen to that? And we just kind of treat it lightly. Or we go to the other end of the spectrum where we're like, oh, God's beating me up again. And we grow weary and we're like, oh, I'm just so tired. I just don't want God to tell me what to do anymore. It seems like I can't get anything right and he's just always trying to correct me. And the author here is saying, don't disregard his correction lightly, nor grow weary. Because the ultimate goal is that God is training us up for our own good so that we grow in righteousness to look more like Jesus Christ. And so we must keep this in mind because I know that sometimes we tend to fall to either side. We start to kind of get this arrogant attitude that says, I don't need to really listen to God. Like, I know what's best for myself. I don't need to worry. I don't need to trust him. Or we get to this other side where we kind of act like we're just this, like, beaten up person that God doesn't care about. And so we must rest on his word and these verses that say that God is disciplining us. He's training us for our good. At times, it seems painful rather than pleasant, but ultimately, it is producing the fruit of righteousness in our lives to those who have been trained by it. And so we must be willing to be trained by it. So I'm going to use an illustration now, because one, I love illustrations, but two, I think it helps kind of make the, uh, just help the sermon connect with everybody. So I brought some stuff with me. Um, as I said, uh, right now, Angela and I have been helping out some friends and uh, taking care of a kid at our house. And um, something that he and I both have enjoyed doing is uh, building these Connects models. So I had these as a kid, and I kept them because I love them and stuff. Uh, but they're really fun because, like, you get to build these really cool things with it. So, for instance, this is a... Uh, uh, this one he built. He was very proud of it. But this is like a space shuttle that he built. You know, and then here's the display stand for it. And it's just like, it's really cool, like, how you can build all these different vehicles, all these different buildings with it. And, um, you know, he also built a fighter jet. He was really happy about how this one turned out. So it's, you can see it's really cool. It's got the wings. It's got the landing gear, and they retract, and they can, you know, open up for landing. Um, we built some other stuff together. I built this motorcycle while he built this formula racer car. Uh, and we had a lot of fun building these things together. So what am I getting at? What I'm getting at here in this illustration. All right, so here is a box of connects. And let's say that as believers, when we first come to salvation, when we first believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior and has made the way possible for us to go to heaven, that we get this box from God. And in this box is a bunch of connects pieces in which we get to build stuff with it. But ultimately, what God is saying is, and let's just, for example, in our life, you know, we know Jesus Christ is our model, and that's what we're being built towards. 
So let's say, just for the sake of the metaphor, that this space shuttle is Jesus. And so here is the manual, and here is what the end product is. This space shuttle. Once again, I'm not saying the space shuttle is Jesus in real life, but like for the metaphor, let's just take this for example. Okay? So here are the instructions to build this. You don't have to figure this out in your own strength. It's already been given to us. But the question is, are we going to follow it? Because a lot of times, I think what happens in our Christian walk is that we get all these cool things and we kind of just start like living how we want to and kind of building it how we want to. And we just start kind of making like random stuff with it. So we're like, oh, okay, like, so I'm a Christian now. Now let's play with these. Let's put these together. Oh, that's cool. And like, I'm going to, you know, get this and ooh, let's build like a really awesome like sports car or like let's just see if we can build like a big tower and so we start putting all these pieces together you know because we're excited we're like little children you know when we're first coming to know Jesus we start putting all this stuff together it's like oh this is really awesome but our heavenly father comes along and says no I, I want you to work towards building this like, I've given you instructions, so, like, let's, you know, let's work together through it. Let's follow the steps to get it. And then we're like, oh, but I got this, I got this really cool, this really cool thing right here. Like, look, look what I built. But God's like, no, let's, let's work towards this. As our Father, he's instructing us and bring us along, like, this is ultimately what we're trying to build here. And so the question in this illustration, then, is what are we building for in our life? Because I think one of the problems... One of my concerns that I have for myself and all of us as Christians is that we get this box and we're like, okay, I'm a Christian now. I'm not going to hell. But then we just kind of start like, you know, putting pieces together and just kind of seeing what happens. Or maybe we decide to go in a whole different uh, direction and we build this really awesome sports car in our life. Or, you know, this really awesome uh, motorcycle because, you know, we want to have our toys that we can play with. And so we start to build all these other things when our father is saying that this is what he wants us to be building towards in our life. And so with that, as a father, he's going to come along and continue to direct us back to this. Like, hey, like this thing over here, like, okay, cool, like you built that, but I'm trying to get you to build this over here. And here are the instructions, so let's work through it together. But what happens, and what I said before, is that a lot of times we, as it said in Hebrews 12:5, we disregard his correction. We say, well, I don't need to worry about that. I mean, I've already got the box that connects here. I don't need to worry about anything else because I've already got my salvation, so I can build what I want from there because I'm not going to hell. Or we get over here where we're like, we're like, oh, God's just going to beat me up anyway. No matter what I do, I'm just going to fail. So, like, I don't really want to try. I'm just, no. Because, like, what's the point? Like, he's just going to beat me up for, like, not doing it right. You know, and we start to kind of get this aimless, driftless, purposeless life because we start either not living at all or we start living for other things when God is saying, here, I want you to build this with your life. 
And this is important. Like, maybe some of you are asking, like, why does this matter, Dale? Why does it matter what I build with my life? I'm not going to hell. I believe in Jesus. I believe that what he's done is enough. Why do I need to keep going to church every day just so that you can, like, keep cramming this down our throats and that we just have to keep going through the motions? Like, why do I need to worry about this stuff? And the reason I say these things is because there's um, a set of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that I have really started to try to apply in my life because before I never understood it, but late, the last couple of years I've been starting to finally understand like what God is saying with the things that he's given us and how we are to steward those things. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, it says, Paul writes, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, being the last days, will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So what does that whole thing mean? So what Paul's getting at here is that as believers, a foundation has been laid. So let's say this Bible right now is the foundation. What Paul is saying is that the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. But after that foundation has been laid, we then have a choice of what we're going to build on top of that. So we can start building all these cool little toys like this motorcycle. We can start living how we want. But there's going to come a day where we are going to have to stand before God and show him what we did with our life. And Paul says that it is a test of fire, our workmanship, what we built. Because we can either choose to build with wood, straw, and hay, or we can choose to build with precious stones. And these things are going to be tested by fire. And that which is burned up will suffer great loss. And that which survives the flames we will receive. And so what he's trying to get at here is that in heaven, we will receive a reward for the work we did on earth. That's why we say things like, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth, but lay it up in heaven. Because here's the thing. Once again, this is the foundation. To be a Christian, you have to have this. All right? This alone saves you from hell. This alone saves you from forever being banished from God. But what we build on top of that is going to be, in a sense, a reward that the Father will gladly give us for the work that we did. Because we got to remember, like, Jesus Christ lived a life according to what God directed him to do. He lived a perfect life on this earth. He was uh, obedient to death on the cross. And as a result, he was resurrected to a new life. And now he sits at the throne of God. He didn't have to do that stuff, but he knew that that's what God was calling him to do, and he did it. And now we see what he has received as a reward for that. And so we now live with Jesus Christ as our model. 
But what I am concerned about for myself and for other believers is what are we building on this foundation? Because a lot of times I think we see, and especially in America, we see people that have this foundation and they're content with that. And then they're like, okay, well now I'm just going to like, you know, I need to worry about my career. So like I'm going to go and make sure to go to college and I'm going to get this really high paying job and I want this really big house with lots of bedrooms and I want lots of sports cars and I want my toys like this bike and like I'm going to, you know, have kids and I'm going to raise them to be successful and if they don't be successful, I'm going to be disappointed and then they're going to have other kids and then, you know, it's just going to keep this legacy going and while I'm alive, I'm going to build up my bank accounts and I'm going to go on awesome vacations and, I'm, and you just keep building these type of toys. But do you know what happens? at the end of your life you get none of that now I built that so don't get mad that I just destroyed some to kids toy I built that one specifically but this is all you're left with like I know we can have some fun here but what I'm trying to get at is that this is your life's work at the end now I know I'm getting a little riled up here and I'm not trying to like make you all feel bad but my concern here is that if we are not focused on the mission of the church and what God has done for us. This is all we're left with when we give account for our life. Is just this foundation. Yes, you'll go to heaven, but you suffered so much loss because of putting your life into toys and worthless things that burned up at the end. Now, if God is calling us to live like his son in obedience to the Father's will, and we build this, it will last. And this will be with us in heaven. That is why we must be trained in righteousness. And I know I sound really angry right now, but I'm tired. I am tired because I see the mistakes in my own life. And I know God's working me and correcting me. And I am doing my best to listen each day and be obedient. And I am so thankful for a gracious father who each and every day his grace is renewed for me. And he keeps molding me and shaping me. But I'm also concerned because I look around at the churches and some have fallen asleep. They are so focused on living for their own life. They want to build their toys. They want to have lots of money. But that's all going to go away in the end if they're not being obedient to Christ. We must be aware that it's not just we got a get out of hell free card and now we can live life the way we want, but that God is training us in righteousness so that we can grow in maturity to then teach other people and share the gospel with them so that they too come to a saving faith in Christ. And then we come alongside and help them grow in their maturity and strength. And then they do the same for other people. But if we do not remember that and realize that and remain aware of that and we just kind of go to church and say our trite little response and calls of he is risen, he is risen indeed, and then we just go back to living how we want, we've missed the point here. So I want to encourage all of us. God is training us in righteousness. We are already righteous because of his son. This isn't legalism. But 
I loved, um, there was a really good article I read this week on DesiringGod.org, and it was called um, Redeeming Discipline. The author was Scott Hubbard, and he wrote this beautiful thing about the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul, before he was a Christian, was a very religious man, but he was legalistic. He was trying to earn his salvation through following all these rules. But when Christ met him on the road to Damascus, his life was transformed. But yet, when Paul writes, he talks a lot about still disciplining his body, still running his race. He talks about how he still um, does not just run aimlessly, but that he trains his body and beats it into submission. And we kind of look at that and we're like, whoa, Paul, that's a little legalistic. Like, I thought you just talked about God's grace. And I love how this author addressed that. He said, so... A lot of times when we hear someone like Paul, whose approach to the Christian life seems somewhat extreme, we think that's too strict, that's too overly disciplined. So we start to wonder, but doesn't the gospel cry done instead of do? And indeed the gospel does say that, that when Christ did his work, he said it is finished. And so we no longer have to do in order to earn our salvation. It has been done for us. But... As we watch Paul more closely, we realize that on the other side of the gospel's done, there is another kind of do. Not the doing that strives for God's favor or adds anything to Christ's cross, but the doing that rises from fresh power, resurrection power, and a new and deep pleasure in God. So by grace, you start running harder. You pray and press on. You trust and strain forward. And you begin to discover that God's grace is a bigger wonder than you once thought. Not only does grace grant our forgiveness and win our worship, but it works, and it works hard. And to top off the paradox, it keeps us happy while we work. And so that's what I'm trying to get at here. It's not that we now have to build this thing perfectly in our own strength in order to earn God's favor and salvation. No, the fact that we have this connect stuff, going back to the metaphor, says that we receive salvation from God and now we are building a life that models Jesus Christ. And so this isn't legalism where you have to earn your salvation. But what it's saying is that we now have been given a mission and so we now do the work of the Father in this world so that others may receive the gospel truth, that their eyes and ears may be open to the truth. And then we come alongside and we disciple them and we help build them up. All the while, God is still working in us and other people are building us up. So I want to use this final time as an exhortation to us. And when we look at the final verses of um, this sermon today, Uh, We're still in chapter 12, but when we look at verses 12 through 13, we see the author's exhortation, his challenge to all of us. He says, Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. And so what he's talking about is that sometimes we start, as we're running a race, we start to get tired. Our hands start to kind of droop. Our shoulders kind of crouch forward. Our knees get tired. Our feet get tired. And what the author is saying is, don't grow weary. Rather, straighten yourself. Strengthen your knees and your hands. Make straight paths for your feet. Don't just kind of meander as you're getting tired, but have your eyes on the goal and make straight your path. So let us remember that when we grow weary, let's 
rely on God's Holy Spirit within us to strengthen us to make our path straight and run this race. Let us continue in our race. If we see our brothers and sisters start to struggle, let us come alongside and encourage them so that no one grows weary and stops, so that no one grows weary and just kind of walks off the course. In any areas where our form is incorrect, where maybe we need some pointers on how to run better, let us humbly submit to the perfect one, Jesus Christ, who is bringing about that perfection in us. In Philippians 1.6, it says, I am sure of this, that he, being God, who began a good work in you, will bring it about to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And so there is a work that God has started in us, and he is going to make sure that it comes about to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we must rest in that, that it's not on us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and figure out life, but that God, by his Holy Spirit indwelling in us, is teaching us. He's training us. So let's submit to the teaching of the ultimate Father who knows what is best for us. Because I know that at times we might have pain from our earthly fathers who have failed us or left us or who have disciplined us but disciplined us poorly or incorrectly. Let's look to our heavenly Father who trains us with knowing what is best for us. At times, it can be gentle and loving, but there may be times where a more stern discipline needs to come in because we're not listening. And we might grow tired, but it's not this idea that God is just some like evil taskmaster who just wants to make us like miserable. We need to know that he is trying to correct our form so that we can run more effectively. He is trying to get our eyes back onto the goal so that we start running straight ahead rather than just kind of meandering around. And like I said before in the illustration with the motorcycle flying off the Bible, the work that we do in this life will be judged in the end. And we have to give an account of what we did with the stuff that God gave us. So are we going to be obedient to the Father's plan, to his work and his will? Or are we going to just start using our get-out-of-hell-free card and living life as we please, knowing that, oh, it's okay because I'm going to go to heaven anyway? Because that's not maturity. God is calling us to maturity so that we can live and live life to the fullest as brothers and sisters in Christ, living out the mission to a hurting city. Because there are people outside of this building who are lost. They are blind to the gospel. And God has chosen the church, us, to bring about that truth. And if we refuse to do it because we're much more worried about making our house look like whatever the next home designer on Instagram is doing, or if we're much more worried about the amount of money in our bank account, we're missing the point that there are people perishing and we have the truth to share with them. So... Let this be an encouragement today. Remember the word discipline and what it means. It is not this sort of corporal punishment, not just this get up, go drill sergeant making us do push-ups. It is a training. It is an education that brings about, um, that brings about a mature body and understanding so that we look more like God's son, Jesus Christ. We will not reach perfection in this life, but when we stand before Jesus Christ, we will be made perfect. And that is our goal here today. So let's not just 
go back into the normal routine, and then next year we'll come back for Easter and we'll all dress up. Let's be intentional every single day. And when we grow weary, go to God. Reach out to your brothers and sisters. Let's build each other up and let's continue on in this race and make sure that we do not leave anyone behind. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we can gather today, that we can sing songs that worship you, that we can have full assurance of entering into your presence today. Lord, this is a tough sermon today because we don't like the feeling of discomfort. We want to play our video games. We want to eat our junk food. We want to have our money. And those things aren't inherently evil. But when we start to make them our gods that we live for, that's when they become evil. And so, Lord, we need you. We need you to teach us. We need your Holy Spirit teaching us your word daily. So, God, I pray for all of us here, myself included, that you would continue training us. And when we grow weary, send reminders that encourage us that you love us and that you are training us for our own good and that you are not just some some sort of taskmaster who wants to make our lives miserable you know what is best and we trust you so lord soften our hearts to submit and obey you in what you are doing and i just pray for all of these things to be done in your son's holy name amen